Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, the host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. Well, here you are. You're at This Week in the Word at dredhill.podbean.com. Let's get started. Thanks for joining us. The episode today is Hope for Hard Times, episode 21. Is the Bible reliable? This is the episode for Sunday, November 26, 2023. You know, to have hope for hard times, to have hope and suffering and persecution in the midst of false teaching and even more false living, you got to know you are right objectively, factually, that you believe the truth. You know, Christians for 2,000 years have based what they believe on the Bible as God's Word. So here's a question for you. Listen carefully. Is the Bible reliable? I mean, if you're going to base your eternity on it, is it true? Can you trust the Bible? Well, I want to read for you from 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, to give you some context for what we're going to look at today. But before I do that, let me tell you a little bit about the John who wrote 1 John 1, verses 1 through 3. Yep, you've already guessed it. He was John the disciple. He became John the apostle. He had been a prisoner of Rome. He was an author of New Testament books, such as the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. But you know what else John was? He was a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee before all of that. He was grounded in reality. I know that's a shocking idea in today's world, but he knew what reality was all about. What do I mean by that? Well, as a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, he sweated in the burning heat working on those fishing boats. He shivered in cold temps. He mended nets with his own hands, and he lived and died financially by the size of the catch and what the market prices were around that area for fish. John lived in the real world. That's what I want you to wrap your heart and mind around right now. Now that same John said this in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. That which was from the beginning, now he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ here, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us, that which we have seen and heard, 
declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Did you hear how John spoke? He spoke like a hard-working man. You know, it's hard to fool somebody who works hard. That is, they know what reality is all about. And today, a lot of people live in unreality, and they don't even have the slightest clue what reality about. But that that's, that wasn't John. John understood what it was like to live in the real world. So he said, hey, we, we saw the Lord Jesus Christ. We heard him. We touched him. Did you know that they even ate with him? They traveled with him down the dusty roads of Israel. They lived in reality. John did, and so did Peter. And we're going to read here in a moment, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 21. But guess what? First, we want to learn a little bit about Peter. Maybe this, your, this is your first time here, and you don't know who this, this Peter is that we're going to read from. Well, he too was a disciple, and he also became an apostle. He also at one time was a prisoner in Jerusalem and of Rome, just like John the Apostle was. He was an author of, we believe that although John Mark may have written down the Gospel of Mark, we believe that it could also be called the Gospel of Peter. You know, Peter telling the Gospel story. But you know what? Again, even though, even though he was a disciple, an apostle, a prisoner, an author of First and Second Peter and the Gospel of Mark, we believe, he also was a fisherman. And you definitely could not trick Peter. I mean, he would call your hand in a New York minute if he didn't think you were dealing straight with him. He was, he was a hardworking guy. He was grounded in reality. I mean, for him to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter knew that he knew that he knew Jesus is God and all of this is real or he would never have followed. All right, so let's read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 21. And remember, we have the question in the background, is the Bible reliable? 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Yea, I think it meet. That means it's that it's suitable, it's right, it's fitting. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle, and he's talking about his body now, his the body he lives in. You have one right now, and so do I. If you don't have one, we have breaking news, right? Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. So Peter uses the word tabernacle to talk about his body. You know, we think our bodies are all that in a bag of chips. Look how strong I am, how beautiful I am, and all of this. Actually, this is just a covering. It's like a tent. When we move out, the tent's gonna collapse. 
Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Peter wants here to, to bring to mind, to remind, to bring to remembrance the truth about the gospel. So the whole question, is the Bible reliable? Is the story of the Lord Jesus Christ reliable? You know, his birth, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his coming again. Those are important questions. And Peter says, I want you to know the truth. Verse 14, knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Now, Peter says one of the motivations for him wanting to, to reinforce the truth of the gospel, the reliability of the scriptures, that the Bible is trustworthy, is he's, he's probably sat and he's figured in his mind, listen, I was about 30-something, something like that, when the Lord Jesus Christ told me that I was going to die a martyr's death. Now, by the way, if you're not familiar with this, maybe you're new to the Bible, maybe you're a brand new Christian, or maybe you're not a Christian at all. You can find that story in the Gospel of John that's in the book, uh, it's in the Bible, but it's in the, the last half of the Bible that we call the New Testament. It's in the Gospel of John, so you'll find it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So it's the fourth Gospel, and you'll find chapter 21. you see it has chapters in it. And then within chapter 21, you'll just look down to verse 18 and verse 19, and you can read when this happened. And it would have, by this time, would have been about 30-something years ago, you know, compared to the time that Peter writes right now. So Peter's thinking, you know, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing or, or imagining this. He's thinking, hmm, I'm about 60-something, maybe 70 but he's, he's older. He's, he's about 30-something years older than when he was told this. And he's probably aware that other apostles have already died martyrs' deaths. He might be next. He doesn't know when he's going to die exactly, but he knows it's got to be getting closer and closer. Does that make sense to you? So with that in mind, he wants to make certain in writing that he reinforces the truth of the gospel, the truth of the Bible. So let's read 13 to 15 now. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor. He's going to make a real effort here, people. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease. What does that mean? It means his death. Actually, I believe from looking this up earlier, that's the Greek word there uh, for decease is exodus after he leaves. He's talking about his death, his martyrdom. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. Did you get all of that? He wants them to remember this, to know this, in the core of their being, being to have no doubt about the facts. 
So this can be broken into two parts. And I don't do this a lot, but I've got a two-part outline right here. And this will help you. He's going to tell them about his personal testimony of the truth. And he's going to tell them about prophetic truth. That is the Bible. So let's look at this. Verse 16, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables. In Greek, it's sophizo mythos. Like we get our words sophisticated. If somebody thinks they're sophisticated, they, they usually think they're better than everybody else. So they're like some kind of Einstein or whiz kid. And they may not be that at all, but they may think they're that. So we, that's where we get that word from. But anyway, he says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. Another way to say it is uh, cunningly crafted myths. M-Y-T-H-S. Like uh, the myth of something, or the man, the myth, the legend. That word, myth. Now, if you hear someone who claims to be a preacher preaching the truth, and they start using phrases like the myth of the gospel, the myth of the resurrection, the myth of the second coming, and what profound things they can teach us about being loving and kind people today, you need to run out of that church. Run, I tell you, because they're lying. They think that the Gospels and the Old Testament and the New Testament, they think the Bible is uh, like um, a narrative to teach us right from wrong. Uh, no, there is that in there of being taught right from wrong. That's true. But the Bible is not a myth. Listen, people, when it says the Hebrews crossed the Red Sea. They crossed the Red Sea, baby. When it says that Joseph told Pharaoh there would be seven good years that followed by seven years of famine, that's exactly what a real Hebrew named Joseph told a real Pharaoh, and that's exactly what happened. I was looking on YouTube this week, and i tell you what, <laughs> I didn't look at the video, but I can understand what it was talking about without even looking at it. Archaeologists some time ago have uncovered a, um, you know how the Egyptians would make their, I don't know why they made stuff so hard, but I'm going to tell you, I'm glad they did. I'm going to tell you why though. You know how they would put things in stone? <laughs> they have found a record in Egypt of a pharaoh being warned of seven years, you know, good years of harvest, followed by seven devastating years of famine. It's right there, and it's carved in rock, and it's been recently discovered and excavated. Huh, that's exactly what the Bible says Joseph did. Huh, how about that? You know, there's a great book, if you can find it, read it. It's called The Stones Cry Out. And it's talking about how archaeology just consistently reinforces what the Bible says. 
People will doubt the Bible, and then all you got to do is pick up a shovel and go dig up something, and you'll find out, huh, that's exactly what it is. This has happened so many times, it's hilarious. But that's an example. So um, how did I get out here? <laughs> Let me go back to my main point. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. These are not like resurrection myths and this myth and that myth. This is a historical record of our Lord Jesus Christ who actually came and is actually God and walked in Israel and died a death to pay the price for our sins. And he was really dead and he rose again literally on the third day. And he was seen by the disciples during that time prior to his ascension. I mean, by the way, I'm glad we have an example of this. When he appeared to the disciples once without Peter, uh, excuse me, without Thomas, Thomas said, yeah, well, I won't believe it till I see him. So the Lord appears to Thomas, you know, after his resurrection, and Thomas has said, I won't, I won't believe it unless I put my hands in his, his wounds, right? You know, his, his nail prints and the, the side and all of that. He says, I'm not going to believe it without proof. The Lord shows up and says, touch me and see. And Thomas was blown away. It was really the Lord Jesus Christ. I feel like Josh McDowell once said, I'm glad Thomas was a doubting Thomas. I'm glad they expressed doubt because it gave the Lord the opportunity and the disciples for this to be proven as true. So if you hear some fake preacher talking about the Bible being narrative and myth and blah, 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 hey, find another church. That guy's on his way to hell. You don't need to follow him. It's sort of like Elvis Presley said, when things go wrong, don't go with them. Thank you very much. All right, don't do that. So, we, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They saw the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Really, Pastor Ed, when did that happen? Peter's about to tell us in verse 17. We don't have to guess. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, he's talking about heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now you can read that exact account of when that happened in space, time, history. That's a fancy way of saying it really happened in really in real time. It's a historical event, not a narrative or myth. So what is he talking about? Well, I'm not going to read it now, but you can go back to Matthew 17 and you can go to the Gospel of Mark chapter 9 and you will read there about this event. In fact, the event was so powerful, it just overwhelmed uh, Peter, James, and John, which were the three chosen to witness what's called the transfiguration 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this was in his earthly ministry prior to going to the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. So in route to that, three of the apostles, the disciples, Peter, James, and John, they would all become apostles, were privileged to witness. It's, it's almost like they were taken. Well, I, let's explain it this way. The, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ was veiled by his flesh. That is, he was the perfect God-man. He never ceased being God in his earthly ministry, but he had the body of an actual man, the perfect God-man. If you don't understand that, that's okay. It's a divine mystery that is nevertheless true. But for that brief moment in time on what is called the Mount of Transfiguration, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ as God burst forth upon these three disciples, and they were eyewitnesses to this. And if you go read the story, they saw uh, Moses and Elijah, who were not dead, now, they had died physically long ago, or Moses had, and Elijah had been raptured. But they appeared with the Lord Jesus Christ when Jesus' glory was shown, and the disciples, Peter, James, and John, knew who they were. And they weren't dead or gone. They were very much alive, as how we're reminded, by the way, in the New Testament to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? So, verse 17, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Now, it's interesting, Peter doesn't say, I heard it. He says, we heard it. And, and they had no doubts about what occurred, but let's just look at it this way. If Peter said, am I seeing and hearing what I think I am? <laughs> Peter Peter, James, and John all said to each other, this is the realest it's ever been in our life. This is a real event. And they were eyewitnesses to this. So that's his personal testimony and that of, of, uh, of John as well, of course, and James as well. But there's not only personal testimony, there's prophetic truth. That is what, what is already written down in the Bible. Verse 19, For we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Prophecy is to speak forth the word of God. We often think of it only in terms of future events, but it's, it's, which it includes, but it's far more than that. It's the speaking forth the word of God. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. This is so neat. 
By the way, I titled this episode before I did my Greek study. Man, was I amazed when I looked at verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. It means that the Bible is reliable. It is found to be reliable. Bebeos. Isn't that cool? I felt like God, looking back, God guided me in the choice of the title for this podcast episode. That's amazing to me. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Now, you're saying, Pastor, help me out. What do you mean? What do you mean? The What he's talking about is the word of God written to Peter, primarily it was the Old Testament prophets, the prophets and the law, right? But by the time Peter wrote this, a good bit of the New Testament had already been written as well. So what does he say? We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, that means pay attention to, that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. That is a gloomy place. And is the world ever gloomy? It is. So we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well, that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Recently, in the last few days, I was in a hotel, and I kept thinking the last time I was in a hotel, I need to take a nightlight with me, because you know how you're in a strange room, and it's you wake up at night, you can't see anything, but I forgot. <laughs> so I, I look for the nearest light, right? Imagine that that we can, we can barely see in the dark, and if we could just plug in a nightlight, we can see a little bit, and we have a point of reference. But of course, the Bible is so much more than that. But we've got to pay attention to the Word of God so that we can see, and it's going to become clearer and clearer to us as we approach the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 20, knowing this first, proton, that's the Greek word here. It means above all, knowing this first, you know, of prime importance, primary importance, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. That is, when Isaiah spoke and wrote his prophecies, Moses wrote, and so on, that this was not something it wasn't a book they wrote and gave their opinion. That's not at all what the Bible is, and it never has been what the Bible is. If you've got a preacher or a preacherette, even worse, that talks about the Bible like that, then um, you need to find another church, as I said. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Moses didn't sit down one day and say, think I'll write the history of the Hebrews in Egypt or of the creation and the fall of man and so on. 
That's not what happened. So well, what happened, Pastor Ed? Again, we don't have to guess. Verse 21 follows verse 20. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This means that these people like Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah and the writers of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Paul, and so on, you know, they didn't say, I think I'll, uh, I think I'll just write something. God moved upon them. And I want us to break down verse 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. The Bible is not a book written by men about God. If that's what you think the Bible is, you've got it exactly backwards. That's not what it says of itself. The Bible, rather, is a book written by God through men about men and their need for God. The Bible is not a human book. But Pastor Ed, I thought that, that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That's true. But notice this. These holy men of God spake as they were moved. The idea there in the Greek is, let's say that a leaf from a tree falls into a stream and that leaf is carried along. It is moved along by the flow of that stream. But holy men of God spake as they were moved. They were, they were inspired by God, frankly. And we know this from other scripture. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. This is God. God carried them along. And we don't know all of the details and mechanics of it. We know enough, though, right here with what we just read to say that I'm casting my lot with the Bible, not with people. I'm going with God. If the whole world goes with people, I'm going with God. How about you? Now, I want to talk with you a few minutes as we close about the Bible itself and why this is so important. And I'll give you a little hint. If you go to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, it's sort of like the theme from Dragnet, because something's going to happen in verse 1 of 2 Peter 2. We're going to start seeing problems. That's problems inside the church and outside the church. False teachers who do some mighty big false living, and it's going to infect and affect and contaminate the entire church. Or the attempt will be made to do that. And we've got to stand strong. Not only do we have to have hope for hard times and suffering and persecution, but even in the midst of false teaching. And we'll talk more about that in next week's episode. But as we close, here are some things about the Bible that you need to know. And there are many, many things that I could tell you about the Bible, but I'm just going to give you these because this is enough 
to hold you over, okay? First of all, the Bible is the only book in world history that can have this said about it. It has 40 plus authors who lived at different times from one another in different places, even three different continents, and they wrote what they wrote over the span of 1,500 plus years. And they talked about the Bible all the way back. They talked about in the Bible, world history, all the way back to before the creation, to the creation, and it talks all of the way into the end of the world as we know it, and a new heavens and new earth into eternity. Wow. 40 plus authors, 1,500 plus years for them to, for their writings to come, to be all be written. They lived on three different continents. Some were in what we would call Africa today, North, North Africa, like Egypt as an example. Uh, that is the example. And uh, they also were obviously in what we might call Eurasia today, the Middle East. And in Europe, Europe, absolutely. Paul wrote from uh, Italy and or was in Italy. He he was in Greece and so on. So the letters were written. You know, and they went here and they went there. Yeah, three continents. And you know what though? It's a unified message. The same message, and the message it is developed and gets more and more detailed from start to finish. This is the same message. That's amazing. The Bible has been banned, burned, mocked, ridiculed, and ignored. But it's also been read. The Bible is the most read book in world history. Let me say that again. The Bible holds the all-time world record for being the most read book in world history. In history, some of the greatest intellects the world has ever known, they paid attention to the Bible. They knew the Bible, even if they didn't personally believe all of it or any of it. Many of the most brilliant people within the world were knowledgeable of and conversant with the Bible. There's no other book that can make that claim. The Bible is absolutely unique. The Bible changes eternal destinies and changes human life. The Bible gives faith and it gives assurance. It gives insight, wisdom, and guidance. It is feared by dictators and revered by believers. There's no other book in the world that can even come close to the kinds of things that I've just said about the Bible. If you know the Bible, you're shaking your head, yes, that's right. If you don't, hopefully you're curious enough now to go pick one up and start reading it. And the amazing thing about the Bible is it's the only book in the world that will speak to you. You don't believe me? Start reading it. God will speak to you through his word. This past Thanksgiving, I stood and walked through Love Field, Dallas, the airport. 
and it was on November 22nd. And I thought about the sadness I felt of that day as it washed over me when 60 years ago to the day on November 22nd, 1963, President Kennedy arrived at Love Field aboard Air Force One. He was motorcaded in the presidential limousine to his speech downtown at the Dallas Trademark. And after that fateful emergency trip to Parkland Hospital in Dallas, his body was brought back in a casket to Air Force One waiting at Love Field. America woke up with John F. Kennedy as president and ended the day with Vice President Johnson sworn in as the new president at Love Field. In many regards, as I look back, it's easy to see that President Kennedy was a visionary, dynamic, conservative leader who believed deeply in America as a force for good in the world and the protector of freedom across the globe. In a speech in West Berlin, East Germany, behind the Iron Curtain, surrounded by the army of the Soviet proxy state, East Germany, on June 26, 1963, less than five months from his murder, he said, all free men, wherever they may live, are citizens of Berlin, and therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Berliner. I am a Berliner, is what he said. That was such an encouragement to the citizens of Berlin and the free people of the world and the people who long to be free in the world. He also said these words a couple of years earlier in his inaugural address on January 20th, 1961. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And so, my faithful listeners, I have a challenge for you. Ask not what your Bible can do for you. Ask what you can do with your Bible. And what I mean by that is this. Make the Word of God written, the Bible, your fixed point of reference in an ever-changing world. Whatever crazy trend is coming next week, next year, the Bible is your fixed point of reference. But for that to be true, now listen to me here. Listen. You can't just agree with the Bible as a wonderful book. It's even the Word of God. That will not help you as much as reading the Bible, listening to the Bible, reciting the Bible, trusting the Bible, no matter what others outside or inside the church may say. And as you'll see next week in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, we're going to need the Word of God. Make sure you have the Word of God, the Bible that is reliable in your life 
on a daily basis. Well, listen, if you're thinking right now that you need to get to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to get to know the Bible better, I'm going to give you a number that you can call, 888-388-2683, 888-388-2683. Call that number, and a counselor from a Christian ministry will talk to you about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, becoming a Christian, how to grow in your Christian life, and how to even get the Word of God into your life on a very daily basis. Well, I'll be back with episode 22 of Hope for Hard Times. If I don't die first and the rapture doesn't happen first, I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Please like this episode. If you've never done it before, follow the podcast and share it right now with someone who needs to hear it right from where you're listening. Bye-bye.